here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Shake Them Ropes is a podcast of VoicesOfWrestling.com. For show reviews and in-depth analysis of the world of wrestling, visit VoicesOfWrestling.com. You can find Shake Them Ropes on YouTube at ShakeThemRopes.com slash YouTube. And the audio podcast is free to subscribe to at ShakeThemRopes.com slash subscribe. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Android, Windows Phone, and more. Today on episode 78, we're joined by LA Times and ShareDog contributor Todd Martin to discuss WWE Extreme Rules, NXT, and the success or failure of the WWE Performance Center. A reminder, we'll be back on Sunday night shortly after Extreme Rules with our reaction podcast. We'll be joined by Dylan Hales for that show, and you can interact with us during Extreme Rules and send us questions for Dylan by following us on Twitter at ShakeThemRopes. Rob McCarron. Should we begin with the puking or should we begin with the topics that will change the face of WWE forever? Jeff Hawkins. We are not here to talk about Curtis Hughes. You're listening to Shake Them Ropes with Rob McCarron and Jeff Hawkins. Nobody's listening for hockey talk. And we are back on Shake Them Ropes episode 78. It is Rob McCarron here, Jeff Hawkins as always. And we have a special guest on the line to help us preview WWE Extreme Rules that's happening on Sunday night. We have past guest Todd Martin, and I don't know how else to introduce you right now. So, Todd, how should I introduce you, and where can people find you? Yeah, we had a discussion about this on the air, and after uh, discussing it back and forth for about 15 minutes and not coming to an answer, I figured, yep. let's just go to the air and, and we'll figure something we'll out. wing it. Yeah, you can, you can find me at Sherdog LA Times, and uh, to address the, the elephant in the room, um, no, I have not quit WrestlingObserver.com. No, I have not been fired from WrestlingObserver.com. And yes, you will hear me again very soon, either there or somewhere else. Like here. Yes. Yay. Shake them ropes for the win. Uh, but no, I wanted to have you back because we previewed, uh, we had you on to preview the Royal Rumble. And it was a big hit. And nothing on the Royal Rumble went exactly how any of us predicted. It was insane and probably for a bad way because that Royal Rumble show has uh, since then been regarded as one of the poor Royal Rumbles, I believe. So hopefully we do better on Extreme Rules and hopefully we all enjoy the show a little bit more. Uh, but we are going to go into an Extreme Rules, which starts with a pre-show match and Cesaro's third straight kickoff show match. Can't get on pay-per-views, this guy. We have Kid and Cesaro defending the tag team titles against Big E and Kofi Kingston of the New Day. Todd, how excited are you for this tag title match with seemingly the big new heel tag team, the New Day? I think it should be fine. I mean, I, I was sort of surprised, as I think everyone was, because it seemed like they'd been building towards Lucha Dragons challenging for the titles, and then they lost that match. I'm not sure whether um, the idea was just to swerve people or whether the idea is um, we see something in Lucha Dragons and we want to build it up a little bit more before we give them that title program. But, you know, either way, it feels like this is sort of a placeholder um, feud. Uh, with that said, I've, I've actually become a fan of the New Day Act. Like, 
I think everyone recognized what a terrible act it was at the beginning, but I, I, I'm enjoying it in its current form. It's like these baby faces who come out there and try to get the fans to cheer for them, and the fans hate them, and they're just befuddled and disappointed, and they try to get them to clap, and they fail, and you know, it's just, it's just like a, a debacle. It's, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of emblematic of some of the, you know, the other baby faces that WWE pushes that um, the fans turn on only this, they've actually turned into a storyline. So I, I enjoy it with that said. Um, I think, I think Ken and Cesaro retaining makes the most sense. You know what? You buried the lead. It's the new day with the great and phenomenal Xavier Woods. Xavier <laughs> Woods was my favorite thing on raw next to Curtis Axel doing the, uh, doing the Alex Wright dance. I mean, that, <laughs> That was just, he plays such a great, and you're right, befuddled heel or befuddled face heel type guy where he's like, see, I'm not even involved in this match. And just, you know, yelling at the fans, why are you booing us? Why are you booing us? And I thought the finish to the Lucha Dragons match was, you know, for, for Xavier Woods, it was pretty darn entertaining with him being under the ring and, and apron and grabbing him. Um, I think Cesaro and Kid probably end up working face in this match um just judging from the house show reports from the european tour well it's in chicago they're gonna be baby faces on the show yeah. in chicago right i mean right and it's a shame that you always have to have the tag team title match it seems now in the pre-show because you know how are you gonna get tag team wrestling over if you keep putting it in a place where nobody watches it but i think they retain and fairly easily and i don't know if Big E splits off from here. It seemed like they were hinting that on Raw a bit, but I hope not. Well, it's so strange because Big E, yeah, he backed down from Randy Orton, which is another you know sign that okay, these are guy these guys are going on the healer side. But there was a poster, and pay per view posters really mean nothing. But like the payback, I think it was payback. The pay per view poster like singles out Big E. Like Big E is the yeah. face of the payback poster, and I don't know if that'll get any traction or what they're doing there, but. Uh, yeah, Kid and Cesaro makes the most sense to win for me, so I'll go with that as uh, well. Uh, we go into the proper Extreme Rules, and we start with a Chicago street fight. Dean Ambrose and Luke Harper, which, again, I stopped writing the live Raw report for effort to be online. Uh, I believe the WrestleMania Raw was my last show. So over the last month... Todd, I've taken a little bit of a sabbatical from WWE. This is probably the least I've watched WWE programming leading up to a pay-per-view in several, several years. Now, I watched Raw last night, so I kind of know what's going on. I think that's all you really have to do is watch the Raw before a pay-per-view and you get the gist of what's going on. But Dean Ambrose and Luke Harper was befuddling to me. What happened here, and who do you have winning the street fight? Um. As far as what happened, I'm actually not clear either. I think, I, I mean, they clearly don't like each other, but I actually don't even remember what the uh, precipitating angle was. They've just sort of been arguing back and forth. Maybe Jeff will remember better than I, but it's, I think it's, it's the, the match on the card that's sort of gotten the less, the least angle build up as far as that goes. Um, it's just sort of, you know, two guys that are good wrestlers wrestling each other. Um, as far as the match goes, I mean, certainly logic would say that Dean Ambrose wins. He's a guy that they've invested a lot more in um, Dan Luke Harper, even though I think Luke Harper has a lot of potential in his own right. Um, with that said, Dean Ambrose does have the pay-per-view losing streak going, still hasn't won on pay-per-view since the uh, the Shield broke up. Yep. Um, so part of me would sort of be amused by that continuing, just sort of indefinitely, as much as I he, like Dean Ambrose. He did, not win, <laughs> he did not win a singles match on pay-per-view in all of 2014 and has yet to win in 2015. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the streak continues potentially. Um, but I think, I think the more logical thing is, uh, is Dean Ambrose getting the win here. 
Especially in a street fight. Jeff, I mean, was it the fact that they had the same exact look, Luke Harper and Dean Ambrose, what precipitated this? They wore the exact same thing. It was the blue jeans. It was the tank top. They had the same gimmick. Nope. It was like a tag team that broke up. No, the story is because of the big ladder spot at WrestleMania oh. where uh, Harper power bombed Ambrose onto the ladder and split him open. I see. Oh, and then he wrestled John Cena in a competitive match the next night? Yes. Oh, okay. Just making sure. <laughs> Yes. And Luke Harper yeah, took him out for a good 22 hours. It's it's a battle of tank tops and jeans. Mm-hmm. Um so hey, finally two wrestlers who are dressed for a street fight match. Thank God, old school mentality is back. Um Ambrose finally gets a win on pay-per-view. They still don't know what they're doing with Luke Harper, I don't think, and I think Luke Harper's great. But then again, they don't know what they're doing with Dean Ambrose either. But someone has to win. Might as well be Ambrose. Yeah, I'm going to go with Luke Harper just because like the John Cena in a pay-per-view main event streak, I'm just not going against, you know, Dean Ambrose <laughs> losing right now. So I'll be that guy who picks Luke not, Harper. Not, not enough like, props for you in this angle. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. like the people who say they won't they won't pick against GSP until he loses. You know, you, you won't pick against Dean Ambrose until he wins. I'm not. Ah, that's that's me. I'm gonna keep picking anti Dean Ambrose. So, babyface Dean Ambrose against TBA. I'll pick TBA every time. Uh, we go into another former Shield member, Roman Reigns versus The Big Show in a Last Man Standing match. Jeff, hmm? is this the night where Roman Reigns gets the big win on the big stage against The Big Show? <laughs> Todd's laughing as he gives it. Uh, it, it'll be a win. I don't think it'll be a big win. Um, I'm figuring a stunt involving either. I mean, this to me feels like Cena versus Batista in the same kind of last man standing match or whatever, where Big Show's going through the roof of maybe a gimmicked car or ambulance, or he's going off the side after a spear off the side of the stage through a crash pad. And it'll be impressive, and people will whoa and pop and whatnot. But, yeah, that's what's going to happen, I think. Hmm. Todd, will this be uh, a Roman Reigns big win, or are they going to set up a, a return match for the next pay-per-view? I certainly think it'll be a Roman Reigns win. Um, as far as a big win on a big stage, um, uh, probably not. It's a huge stage, Todd. It's extreme <laughs> rules here. It's extreme <laughs> rules. It's going to be seen by hundreds of thousands of people on DVR. Even if they continue the feud, I would be very surprised if Roman Reigns does not beat Big Show clean. Um, and they've got, to, they've got to book this carefully because in Chicago, the way the crowds have been reacting of late yeah. to both the Big oh, Show man. and Roman Reigns, <laughs> um, it, it's you would hope. I, I feel like the best case scenario is people sort of rooting for Big Show. Uh-huh. I think the worst case scenario is them just shitting on both guys, unfortunately. Right. I, I'm thinking that's going to going to be the thing that we see here, especially with all the gimmicks that are surrounding it. I'm, I'm hoping the last man standing kind of gets people into the match, uh, depending on what they do there. Um, but yeah, this could be a very poor first seven, eight minutes for these two guys in the ring. But I, well, I, just, I just think because they ran him into a car in, in London, they're going to, he has to get the receipt on that. Um, yeah. What are Todd's odds that there's a CM Punk chant during this match? Oh my God! You gotta. Uh, I'll say ninety ninety nine uh, point. Oh geez, uh, <laughs> nine nine seven. 
percent. Okay. The only percentage that says that it won't happen is if they've done it so much during this show already that they're just tired during Reigns and Big Show and go to sleep. <laughs> like, otherwise, it's happening. I would say uh, we're getting a big chant during the, the women's match that's next. That's what I was thinking, but I was thinking maybe they do AJ and they're actually respectful this could, time. Could do that, too. Uh, Nikki Bella with her sister Brie, the best of friends, against Naomi for the WWE Divas Championship. Now, Paige won the Battle Royal. As far as what I've read, because I didn't see it, Paige won the Battle battle Royal to be the number one contender for this match, and then she's going off to film her movie. Naomi kind of did the the heel job there, as far as I'm understanding it, pushing her out. Is she back as a babyface? Like, is Naomi the babyface going for the big title win, or is this heel versus heel now? What do you guys see this as? It's decided the heel versus heel. Okay. Is it? Because I thought the Bellas were almost faces this past week. In, In what sense? Uh, Brie doing all sorts of high spots and come on and let's go and type of thing. It it was very odd. It was a it was almost like an inexplicable face turn to me. But they haven't yeah. they haven't certainly Nick, they've certainly Nick, done Nick, nothing on the Nick, mic though to to say that. I well, Nikki on commentary was very nice and polite this week. Just oh, thank you. This magazine shot shoot means a lot to us. You know, and and we've worked really hard for this, and we're really into fitness. It was it was it was strange maybe maybe it's just maybe it's just my view of the bellas but it it just came across as disingenuous to me okay Um, but i i i hate the bellas so um so i'm not apt to uh to root for them so i I don't know maybe maybe they are doing something like that but i just read it as heel versus heel come on brie come on nikki i'm really surprised i'm really surprised they went with the naomi heel turn on this because you know this is she never got her baby face title run not a title run even but a a run up to getting a title match she never got it she was either injured or aj came back and aj was the focal point uh naomi has beaten brie in tag matches on raw she had a singles win against nikki bella on main event that doesn't matter anymore but uh is it too much to think that they just turned her to get her away from the usos because jay's out for a few months and they didn't really think it through because Paige was gonna be leaving i don't know maybe they just i don't know I don't know. Okay. Maybe it screams Naomi is going to win here. And then they bring up someone from NXT as a babyface to, you know, have athletic matches with Naomi. Maybe Charlotte comes up. Maybe Sasha Banks comes up. Somebody possibly. But I'll go with Naomi as the upset here. I think Naomi's going to win the title here. I could be the I only Nikki. one. I, I, I have Nikki winning. This. Nikki. Todd, you have Nikki winning? I was thinking so too, but you make a good point. I think if you're going to bring... Um, some women up or, or a woman up, um, it's better to have um, Naomi in that spot because I think she is better. Not not that any of them are particularly good overall as wrestlers, but I think she's better than the Bellas. And the Bellas, I think, sort of symbolize the sort of, um, you know, the, the, the model approach to wrestling where you just bring in models and you have them do bad wrestling matches. And yeah. if you're trying to get away from that, I think just, well, I mean, you could sort of do it two ways. One way is you use that as a contrast and you have the person come in and say that's what you are and then try to beat you. Or the other is you just get them out of the way and you try to get that thought out of your head. So I could see it going either way. I, I, okay. Sorry, go ahead. My, think, my thinking was that they see Nikki as an actual quote-unquote star due to the total divas thing. So beating her would be much more of a feather in the cap than beating in Naomi. Yeah, that's definitely true. They clearly, they clearly have pushed both the Bellas and Nikki in particular um, to a lot stronger degree than just right. about anyone else on the roster. So, sure. yeah. But as far as one thing on the, on the Naomi turn is like, to me, like this has sort of been um, 
instructive of uh, sort of not the way to turn, in my opinion, in that, like, I think frequently in wrestling, there's sort of an inclination um, sometimes when you turn people to just sort of make them bad immediately. Yeah. And Naomi to me was sort of a, just a perfect example of that where, you know, one week she's smiling, she's with the Usos and then she just attacks uh, Paige out of the blue. And then she's just acting completely heelish immediately. You know, she's cutting, you know, she's sneering and being sarcastic and, you know, being nasty to the interviewer and just like, you know, she just does a complete 180 in her personality immediately. Mm -hmm. And to me, those sorts of turns are a lot less effective because they just feel fake. Whereas if you do it a little bit more gradually, so you can sort of see someone evolving into a different sort of person, it's more relatable. I think people understand it better. And I think they, they dislike the person more. Whereas with Naomi, it was so obviously just, she's a bad person now that it wasn't like I had anything invested because it just, it, there, there was nothing that resonated or felt real about it. And Naomi was probably the perfect one right now to have an organic heel turn because yes. you, you relate to the the past victories over Nikki Bella. You can relate to a year back at WrestleMania how she didn't get her singles match because of an injury. You can tell the story that she was pushed over by other people, either Paige coming into WWE or AJ Lee returning or her injury and how she never got a shot. It could have been an organic long-term heel turn and made more sense, but they decided to go with the one-week heel turn here for a women's title match. You didn't even need to do the one. You could have done it over two weeks and what a fit. The first week is she has a fit because Paige is getting the title shot over her, despite the fact that she's won. She got it by having a battle royal. So all she does, is she gets on the mic, say, this is BS. This is BS. And the next week she cuts a promo going, okay, fine. If other people are going to break the rules and whatnot, I'm going to too. Boom. There you go. Two week heel turn because you can't have her grow a goatee or facial hair to indicate a heel turn. <laughs> Naomi with a beard, though, would be pretty interesting TV. Oh, jeez. No, no. Would be, I think. Uh, Dolph Ziggler and Sheamus in a Kiss Me Arse match. Uh, <laughs> Sheamus, the big bad guy. Dolph Ziggler, root for me. What do you got here, Todd? Kiss Me Arse. Who's kissing the other's backside? I was thinking about this, and it's. It, I, I was having trouble figuring out what they were going to do. Um, because I don't really see where they're going with it. Like, it's hard really to imagine... Um, them wanting to sort of bury Dolph Ziggler by putting them in that position. But Sheamus just came back and, uh, you know, I, I, excuse me, I don't see them wanting to do something uh, along those lines with him. So I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I defer towards Sheamus winning just because Sheamus is a guy that they pretty much always protect. And Dolph is a guy that doesn't get that sort of protection. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I favor Sheamus. Yeah, me too, oh, Jeff. There's, I, I oh, would, there's, there's, no, there's no doubt in my, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I would go with uh, Sheamus winning this one too. Um the question becomes, I think the question to me is, does Dolph Ziggler just go down and kiss the backside of Sheamus willy-nilly, or does he actually put a fight up and not do it? I mean, babyface wisdom is you do it because you're honoring the code that you signed, but you know, Dolph Ziggler may be a little change of pace for that. I don't know, but I, I would have Sheamus winning here for sure. I don't think there's any doubt that Sheamus is winning because they're going to give him the, uh, the, the, the little guy killer gimmick for a bit. They may actually have him beat Brian for that title, I think. Well, or they're or they're gonna or they're gonna use those victories over the small guys to build them up for Roman Reigns as a big guy. Well, that's the question I have too, because our next match is that intercontinental or intercontinental championship match with Daniel Bryan and Bad News Barrett, and we we're not exactly sure if Bryan's even going to wrestle in this match. So I wonder if he can't. Do they put Bad News Barrett in this three way and make it for the U.S. title, uh, or what? We'll see what they do uh, as SmackDown is currently taping right now. Uh, but Daniel Bryan, Bad News Barrett, if this match takes place, if it takes place, and knowing 
the injury history recently with Daniel Bryan. Do they change the title here if this match can happen? Uh, Todd, what do you got in the Intercontinental title match and your thoughts on it? So your thought was that they might strip Bryan of the title and put Barrett in a a three-way match for the title? I can see if Daniel Bryan can't compete in this show, the way they like to, you know, because they have a IC title match scheduled, the way they like to do it sometimes is just, uh, you know, kind of put the title somewhere else if Daniel Bryan is unsure of when he can come back. And yeah, they would have a three-way for the title with Barrett just added into the Ziggler Sheamus because Ziggler and Sheamus have kind of been intertwined in that Bryan thing for the last month ever since WrestleMania anyway. Yeah, I don't see that because the, the, they they'd have to work out the stipulation thing, right? And I think it's it's more likely that they'd give Brian a little bit more time to sure. um to come back. Um, I, I'm not sure what they do if uh, if if uh, Brian isn't able to compete, and I'm kind of expecting he won't be able to compete, but I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's able to compete, I think he beats Barrett. I, I don't really that that seems to me the most obvious result we've talked about yet. Yeah, yeah. If Daniel yeah. Bryan and Bad News Barrett happens. Because uh, obviously, if he's well enough to wrestle on this show, it's not like he's going to have to take more time off anytime soon. So, or at least to me. So, I would have Daniel Bryan win this match too. Jeff, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? If he can go, Daniel Bryan wins, and he probably they'll probably put him on Raw and have him lose it. Then, uh, if he can't, I this is where I think they're gonna they're gonna put in Neville. I think they're gonna have Neville and Barrett fight for the title, and I think they're gonna have Barrett win. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting thought. Because the thought is, oh, he he's a new guy. He'll get some cred by being in a very competitive match, but still failing. Or they might actually, you know what? They may give him the title and have Bear chase him. But I, I think Bear's going to take the title if it's against Neville, and I think Brian wins if he's in the match. I have breaking news. Okay. I don't have a breaking news bed, though. I don't have the sound. Uh, Brad Maddox beats Zack Ryder in a dark match on SmackDown. <laughs> So basically, for those fans that are at the SmackDown taping, they got a treat early. Wow. Brad Maddox wrestling and winning. Zack Ryder got, went for that brass ring <laughs> long ago. Man, this is his reward. I just imagine somebody chuckling backstage when they came up with that one. Poor, uh, poor Zack Ryder. I won't, I won't spoil it. I won't spoil this result, but the first match taped at the SmackDown taping, and you can kind of fill in the blank, and Jeff, like what you just said, was a tag team match, Neville and Dolph Ziggler against Bad News Barrett and Sheamus. That match happens on Tuesday's SmackDown. I don't know the context, but that match happens on uh, on SmackDown this week. So we've done Dolph Ziggler and Sheamus. We've done Daniel Bryan and Bad News Barrett. We've done the women's title. We're starting to get into the, uh, the two main events on this show, really. And uh, one of them, a Russian chain match for the U.S. title. And because I did not see much of the buildup to this match, and all I really saw was Rusev, you know, choking John Cena's nose out with the chain last night on Raw. John Cena and Rusev, is Rusev going to suffer two straight defeats, Jeff? (laughs) Please tell me you thought about this one a little bit before than I just asked you right now. Uh, I've been thinking about it. But yes, I think he I think he's going to lose. I think John Cena continues the U.S. title open challenge because I think they're enjoying this gimmick. Todd, Todd did the gimmick run its course this week when Kane answered the bell? <laughs> that that's sort of a leading question, because I, I actually it I absolutely actually like, <laughs> it's the only that's, questions he has. That's all, I, that's all I do, Todd. 
I, I actually like I, I'm I'm more positive on the whole thing than uh, it seems like either of you guys are. I I'm enjoying the the the, the John Cena no, open challenge. We love like, the John oh, Cena no. open challenge. I we was love- just thinking that maybe it's over because they've done the uh, they've done the Stardust, they've done Dean Ambrose, they've done some of these guys who could have long competitive matches. I've loved it because I did watch those segments on every Raw. But then Kane comes out. Like it's just it's just over when Kane comes out and does it. To yeah, me. Kane. Yeah, that's what I was saying about Lee. I mean, it's it's hard to defend it when you bring up Kane because you know that that certainly was not the uh, the highlight of the uh, of the John Cena Open Challenge. But I just think it's been a good use of of John Cena. I think sure. you know it, it sort of allows him to um, not do something that's like at the top of the car, but it's sort of different. I think it it paints him in a positive light. It doesn't breed a lot of resentment in him. Um, I, I think there's still plenty of possibilities. We were just talking about Neville. Neville coming out and giving him a competitive match. Yeah. I think that would be a fun thing to do at some point. Um, I think there are a lot of possibilities there, whereas I think Rusev with the U.S. title sort of ran its course. I don't think okay. after he lost, it necessarily has um, the same heat that it does. And I don't think he needs uh, the U.S. title to be able to feud with some other guys that are sort of in the uh, you know the upper mid card of, uh, of the WWE. So, and besides that, um, it, it's not a match with the Russian chain that you really need um, to worry about the result that much because the, the the result is always kind of fluky. It's always, you know, the guys going through, both of them touching three of them, and then one of them, you know, goes through and lands the last one. And it never really feels like um, under WWE rules for these sort of, you know, strap chain things, um, like you get a, a decisive winner. So it's not like you need to worry about one guy getting beat. I think John Cena having the title going forward is the right thing, and I think that's what they're going to do. No, I love- and I, I, I disagree with you, Rob, in terms of Kane being used in this slot. I thought he was fine because that was the story they were building throughout the entire show in terms of Kane still having authority, credibility vis-a-vis uh, Seth Rollins. And, and, and you know what? He still has big guy credibility. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if he's overused and overexposed. He has big guy credibility, especially in matches with Cena who he's done 500 matches. I've been arguing that fact for the last year. I, you know, Kane does have big guy credibility, whether he's the guy you should be using for all these roles versus a newer guy. He's credibly big. He's credibly big. Thank you. He's got big guy Uh, credibility in a match. Todd. He doesn't doesn't go out there and stink the joint up. I mean, it was a solid, but not Hmm, spectacular match. And it was part, it was part of the overall story. And I think, and you know what? I'll add on to, to Todd's thing. I think Lana's the one who ends up blowing it for Rusev in that fourth corner. Again, because mm-hmm. that would be the second straight time that he's that she's blown it for him. Yeah, yeah I, I hadn't thought about that, but now that you mentioned, I think that's definitely what they're going to do. In fact, now I mean that would be the story here that he can't you know beat John Cena because of this woman, and maybe they have a third match, and Lana is nowhere to be found, and we see what happens. She's in there, a maybe. cage over the match, just well, like uh, don't need that. Use. Yeah, we yeah. don't. You can't put women in cages on PG shows, Jeff. Come on, <laughs> can't do you it. Can in strip clubs all over the country. You might as well on a show. Our strip clubs PG, Jeff. Is that our next topic? Is our strip clubs PG? Is that what we're talking uh, about? Now? When I take the when I take the kids to them, there. Oh come on, stop! <laughs> our main event on this show. Look at these main eventers: Seth Rollins versus Randy Orton in a steel cage match, with Orton's RKO banished, and Kane, the gatekeeper of the cage, because Randy Orton wanted so desperately to get the authority out of his way in this match that he chose a cage match only for Triple H the next week to make Kane of the authority in charge of the cage anyway. Does Good that job, make Jamie Randall. Noble the, wait a second, does that make Jamie Noble the key master? Good job, Randall Orton, picking this step. Todd, your thoughts on this whole situation for the last week as Randy Orton battles Seth for the title. 
Um, well, it certainly seems like an angle they've done a million times where the heels tease that there is dissension between them only to reveal that, in fact, um, they're smarter than the baby face and they've been working together the whole time and they've yes. tricked them and they're going to screw them. They've done it twice um, with these guys in the last month. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I almost feel like it's so obvious that they might be tempted to not do it just because it's so obvious. But if, in fact... Um, the storyline isn't that, that if, if Kane does not help uh, 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 Seth Rollins in this situation, then Triple H is an idiot. Because why would he put this guy in there if he's trying to you know, help his guy and he doesn't like the guy on the other side? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if in fact Kane helps him, then Triple H is smart. Um, and so if one booking outcome has the storyline being that Triple H is smart and the other booking outcome has that Triple H is stupid – um yeah. <laughs> WWE past history suggests you're probably going to go with the booking outcome that has Triple H coming out as a smart guy. Makes sense to me. Yeah, not only do you have the RKO band, you have the curb stomp band apparently. Um and yet another tool in the toolbox you can't use anymore on WWE television. So Seth Rollins <laughs> busted out in the main event of Raw as you mentioned that Jeff. He busted out a double arm DDT that was slightly different than Dean Ambrose's finisher, but essentially Dean Ambrose's finisher. It's yeah, that, I thought I thought the same thing. I, it's like, well, let's let's give people the benefit of the doubt here and stop banning moves. I get safety. I get repetitive. We you have to be able to do a match five times a week. I get that. But how about we trust people until we can't trust them? You know, bring back pile drivers and brain busters and gourd busters and. I mean, it's not like Ryback is. I mean, Ryback hits a guy in the mouth every time he does a clothesline. Are we banning clotheslines all of a sudden? No. So maybe for Ryback specifically. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Do it. You know, if a guy can't pull off a move, then you ban the move for that specific guy. I'm fine with that. But but to say none of you can do this, and and basically now everybody has to come up with some version of a DDT or stunner or something that doesn't even look like a finishing move, like say a fireman's carry like john cena uses it's you had a story here where you could also do the punt and you could bring that into it along with the curb stop but now both of those are gone because i guess the the edict is kicks to the head have been banned so what does that also do for daniel bryan's bumaye knee that's my question but you know uh as for the match i'm sorry i digressed a bit um I had thought that they were going to turn Kane at this point, but I still think Kane's the next guy for Roman Reigns. So it has to be the, oh, we were so geniuses and we tricked you, stupid baby face, that they've already done twice on Raws now, building up tension amongst the authority. Um, I could also see some situation where Brock Lesnar comes in and kills both guys in the cage. It's basically, you know, a fluke win for Seth somehow. I don't know, but Seth Rollins is coming out with the title. There's no way Orton wins. Hey, two questions for you guys. Um, first question for you, Jeff. Um, when right. did you when did you first go to a PWG show? Oh, I'd say around oh six or oh seven. I so went to one saw- of those. I went to one of those Burbank Armory shows back in the day okay. too, if I recall. Who's Why? since we're since we're talking about the curb stomps? Which version of the curb stomp do you like better? Do you like the Seth Rollins curb stomp or the Super Dragon style curb stomp? 
I always thought it was more impressive when Super Dragon did it just because of his size. But I mean, it, I love I love the height that Seth gets on his. So. It, it's more impressive, but the Seth Rollins curb stomp allows for variations of counters, as we saw at WrestleMania. Yeah. So it's it's more flashy. It allows for more mm-hmm. countering maneuvers. It's also safer. I've taken yeah. the Super Dragon curb stomp. It's not very safe. Have you really? <laughs> I took it yeah. in IWA Mid-South via Tank. I didn't take it via Super Dragon. Via a wrestler who was very big named Tank. Took it in uh, Shelbyville, Indiana or Clarkstown. Some, one, of the, one of those little <laughs> this towns. This is more a Shelbyville. I used to referee for Ian Rotten <laughs> as people listening to the show used to uh, or know. So I've taken the curb stomp before. Yes, I have. And it's not fun. Okay. Yeah, for people that don't know, the, the way the way Super Dragon would do it is he would, he would essentially sort of start to do a sharpshooter, and then he would turn them around and then lift them up in a bow and arrow thing. Yep. So he's sort of pulling the arms back, and then he'd sort of slam the the head forward with the with the leg. It it was sort of it, you guys bring up good points the other way. Like the the Rollins one is sort of more flashy because he's diving in and you can do more counters. Mm-hmm. The Super Dragon will always look more violent. I was just sort of thinking about that while you're talking there. It the absolutely question, is. Since and, we're for talking, those who have never, and for those who have never seen Super Dragon, he's a bigger guy. Doesn't exact. I mean, he's it, not. He's not the cardio guy that that Seth Rollins is necessarily. So it was always kind of an impressive move for me to watch. Go ahead. Yeah, I, was, I was a huge fan of Super Dragon. And yeah. other, the other question, since you're bringing up the uh, the negative uh, the negatives of the fireman carry, and in <laughs> fairness, uh, John Cena, it's at least a fireman carry slam. And that was getting me thinking a guy that actually used a legitimate fireman carry without even slamming guys as his finisher. Do you guys remember remember somebody that used the fireman carry without a slam, without anything else, just a fireman carry for his finisher? Wasn't it either Rotunda or, or Ken Patera did it in, in, at one point, I believe? You know, now that you mentioned Rotunda, I think he might have as well. I was thinking of Eric Watts, and it did not, it did not, <laughs> help, it did not help Eric Watts get over. No, I believe Rotunda used it at one time as well when they were really hammering. It was pre his heel turn and pre varsity club. He was using yeah. like a fireman carry. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And now that you mentioned it, that wasn't what I was thinking of, but I, I, I remember that too now. Yeah, I was looking it up to see if uh... <laughs> Mike Rotunda also used the F- the STF. And John oh, Cena just go. stealing all his moves. <laughs> stealing everything. Eric, Eric, hold on, Eric Watts stealing all of Mike Rotunda's moves. <laughs> uh, his finish, yes, his finishing move in the 1980s was the airplane spin. <laughs> so there, there you go. And the right off, the leaping close. Oh, Mike Rotunda. Good times. Um, on the Mike Rotunda bandwagon, Todd, I wanted to ask you about Bray Wyatt and this uh, program he seems to be running again with an anonymous person that, I mean, I think most people right now figure is going to be the Ryback. But what do you think about Bray Wyatt continuing on post-WrestleMania with these promos that he cut for The Undertaker now as he anonymously selects his next victim? I mean, I feel I feel bad sort of knocking the guy um, just because of how strongly I feel about it. But I think he's dead. I don't think there's anything left in him. I think the character is dead. Um, I don't think there's anything more for him to do. He's cut the same promo for three years. There's no menace in it. Um, there's no drama in any of these programs. Um, I just think the character is dead. Um, he's a good talker, um, but you need to you need to do something else um, because I just I don't think there's any value to what he's doing right now. Speaking about a character being dead, his brother Bo didn't have the best week on Raw. His return, no less, and now that he's growing out his beard a little bit, looks exactly like Bray. 
starting to look exactly like Bray, I should say. What think, about think, what about both these guys? On. Well, I think Bray. I think Bray needs a stable or a tag team to help heat him back up again, so he can be the leader of something. Because this is the cult leader without a cult, and that's the only way to build him back up. You need a tag team with some sort of menace who can destroy guys, and he's at the head of it, destroying guys along with him, giving the sister Abigail after the tag team destroys him. I think that's the way you have to build him back up. I don't think a one-on-one program with Ryback is going to do it. Bring in Koya and Sonata. (laughs) It's a good suggestion. Or the the Briscoes. (laughs) We were so close on the Briscoes. We were so close, but it's not happening. And on that segue, that's Extreme Rules. Talking about the Briscoes, let's talk a little bit about NXT and the WWE Performance Center. The Briscoes recently appeared to have turned down WWE as an offer was on the table and they signed back with Ring of Honor. Uh, Still the question out there what Samoa Joe is going to do and when he's going to do it. Uh, But Rich and Joe on the Voices of Wrestling podcast talked when CJ Parker left WWE about the Performance Center being a success or a failure. And I always contested that right now, less than two years after it's opened, it's hard to say either way how it's going to turn out or whether you can even determine it's a success or failure or failure. Um, But Todd, I wanted to get your thoughts on the NXT TV show, NXT as a whole, and the rumors that, you know, basically with NXT touring as they just another another show was announced for Albany, New York in less than a month. uh, What exactly is going on with NXT? Yeah, I mean, I'm ultimately um, sort of with you and that I think it is too soon to sort of draw broad conclusions. And I don't want to come down too negatively on um, the Performance Center and the developmental because I think there are a lot of really smart ideas in what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I think having um, this really state-of-the-art Performance Center where you can have people looking on from Connecticut, giving advice. I think it's it's beneficial as a recruiting tool when you bring in guys and you say, look at this, this is big time. So when you're recruiting um, you know, serious athletes, you can get them to give it more of a shot because I think there's more glamour to it than if you're just, you know, you show them some, you know, secluded gym, um, you know, that's sort of run down and doesn't look very nice. Right. Um, I think it's it's good from a marketing standpoint like that. I think it's good to invest in developmental in general, which is what they're doing. So you can bring in more people, have more people there at the same time so you can develop different people. With that said, I also think there are some decided negatives to the way that they're doing things. I think that putting the, um, the, the, the young guys that are just breaking into the business with the best indie workers in the world, I don't think is beneficial to either side. Um, I think that there's something to be said for having younger guys in there with people that can get better, better work out of them over time. But I think what you want, the people that you want in that role, I think, are sort of journeyman types, people mm-hmm. that can help to carry them, help to showcase them. That's not the case with a lot of these guys. A lot of these guys that are coming in, they're the ones that should be showcased. They shouldn't be out there, you know, trying to to teach them to wrestle because they're in their primes and they have their own careers going on. And I think it has, and this, the next point is something that I think was Dave was bringing up. It, it might've been someone else, but it's, it's, it's something someone else brought up that I thought was a good point. Um, as opposed to something I thought of sort of independently, which is that I think it's demoralizing to some of these guys that are coming in and they come in there and, you know, they're working with, 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 you know, they're looking at Sami Zayn and they're thinking, geez, I suck. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that you want to have those segregated and you've seen them, you've seen that sort of thing in a lot of wrestling camps throughout the, uh, the country. Um, You know, Lance Storm has done it. I know Taz has talked about it when he's done, done camps in the past where, 
um, you have, you know, your intermediate training and you have your beginner training and you separate those groups and you work on different things with them. I think mixing them all up together isn't necessarily the best thing. And then that leads to sort of the, the biggest problem of all, which is that developmental isn't even necessary for a lot of these guys. You know, it was, it was one thing, um, you know, it's one thing when you've got guys that are sort of um, not fully developed all, all, all the way. Um, and there are some guys like that, you know, where you want to, you know, you want to bring them up to speed with some of their talking. Um, maybe they, you know, have limitations in terms of some of the different things that they do. Like, for an example, Uha Nation. Uha Nation is a guy that has a lot of potential. Um, but I think he could benefit from, you know, working on his fundamentals in Florida for a little while. A guy like Sami Zayn, a guy like Kevin Steen, um, you know, a guy like Seth Rollins when he came in there. These guys, in, in my opinion, aren't getting anything out of being there. I think it's just an ego thing. It's WWE saying we are, you know, we are improving these guys. We are bettering these guys. When they come to the main roster, there are guys. Mm-hmm. And that accomplishes nothing for anything. That's just about them feeling good about themselves. And to me, you're wasting years of the prime of some of these guys who could be improving your show, who are ready to go right now. And I think it makes them seem like a bigger deal if you bring them right in, you give them a big push off the, off the ground as opposed to them working on this internet show for, you know, a number of years and people sort of seeing them through that lens as opposed to being brought up with a big video package and the introduction that, hey, this guy is a big deal right off the bat. So I think there are, there, there are negatives to that approach. And um, to, to, you know, to, to, to wrap up this <laughs> long tirade, um, the other thing you brought up, which is the idea of them running a bunch of shows at different places, uh-huh. if they start doing more of that, I think that's a big negative because then I think you're doubling down on the idea of investing in, um, you know, this is some sort of territory of its own. And there's just not that much money in this territory of its own. You know, running, you know, running small indie buildings in, you know, in, in Philadelphia and, you know, in front of a thousand five hundred people like there are guys down there that right now should be main eventers in WWE. And I, I don't think having them stay longer in this developmental system, in the NXT thing, just to feel good about the idea of what we're doing with NXT is beneficial to the product overall. I, I agree with everything Todd said. I have an under my cynicism brings me an underlying fear here in that. Yes, these guys that we bring in from the indies and whatnot, if we should bring them up to the main roster, if the point was to have a top-to-bottom solid wrestling show. But we know WWE doesn't engage in that. They engage in sizzle more than steak. The steak is kind of something to distract a lot of people and you know to have an overall product and to fill time. But it feels like we bring in these guys, and this was my comment with the Briscoes, in that if they wanted the Briscoes for their talent, they would have paid for them. If they want, if they wanted to have them just to have them to keep them around to help season the guys that they want, and it feels like a lot of this is just distraction until they can find guys to cherry pick, um, and that's my fear. I mean, I love NXT. You know, you and I go over this every week. We love things about the show. We love the NXT women's division. We love a lot of the guys that we loved on the indies, but I mean they're not producing original people. And I know it's only been a couple of years and it's too early to call it a failure, but who gets the buzz? That's an original product down there. Maybe Baron Corbin. I think Baron Corbin is the one that 
I know at least I'm a little higher on than some others. I know he's not ready to do much right now, but he. I think I think Charlotte's probably the best example. Charlotte, yeah, on on the women's side, absolutely. And the reason why I wanted to hang on the men's side here for a little bit is because we've had Paige go from NXT to the main roster and been somewhat of a big deal. But on the men's side, the only one who's really broken out is Seth Rollins. Now, granted, he's broken out on a big stage, but he was an indie guy and a top indie guy before that. But who is the next guy from the NXT Rains? roster right now? Who? You don't consider Reigns a breakout star? Not from NXT, no. Okay. No, that's fair enough. The women have a lower bar. I don't think you can compare women and men. Sarah and the other people working with the women are doing a phenomenal job, I think. And I guess you can't even say Seth Rollins. If we're talking about the Performance Center era, Seth Rollins was up before the Performance Center opened, too. So I guess you can't really yeah. count him. But who's going to be the next guy? I mean, I have to say it's going to be one of the top indie guys. Like, are people looking at Finn Balor, Todd, as the one who might actually break through and make something of himself on the main roster? Who do you see as that guy who can who can kind of get to the next level and not be stuck in NXT? That's that's the, the guy that I hear brought up the most as far as what people think. Um you know, Finn Balor is the name that comes up the most because he's flashy. He's got a unique style. Um, he's distinctive. Um, and I think he would get over in WWE. Um, I, I'm higher on some other guys just because Finn Balor um, isn't as good of a talker as some of the other guys. And that's so important on the main roster. Not that he's a terrible talker. He's, he, he's shown that he can he, he can talk to a degree. Um, but, you know, he's 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 not Steen. Um, and and that's, that's the guy I always come back to because, you know, if, if – you know, if if I were in charge, he would be one of the top four most pushed guys in, in the company. Like I, I think he has got everything. He's got a a uh, well, except for the physique, obviously. Yeah. But you know, he's yet he's so got, far. He's got a a menace about him. He's got a seriousness about him in a promotion that has way too many guys that come across as cartoons and caricatures. He comes across as a guy that wants to fight and wants to beat people up. And that's the sort of thing that you want more of. He can talk his, his, his ass off. He gets over programs. He gets over the guys that he works with. He can go in the ring. That, that guy, I think, is, is one of the most talented guys in the entire world. And, you know, I think he should be one of the most pushed guys in the WWE right now. Um, the other guy that I think is, is right up there is Sami Zayn. I mean, yeah. Sami Zayn is the guy that no matter what you do with the guy, because he's got such an innate um, likability about him, along with the fact that he's such a good uh, performer in the ring, um, you don't even have to push the guy and he'll get over. You know, it'll be a, it'll be a similar thing to Daniel Bryan. And really, I've, I've talked about this before, but like I, I think the guy almost could get over better if you don't push him as much, mm-hmm. because a lot of his, a lot of, you know, what gets him, him, him over is the sympathy of this guy that's always fighting and working so hard and it doesn't come easy to him. And you sort of relate to that dynamic. And so th- those are the guys that I like the best out of the, uh, out, of the out of the performance, uh, uh, performance center. On the Kevin Steen point, on the Kevin Owens point, Jeff, and I'll let you get in here also, but I like the fact that Kevin Owens now, you have this performance center, you have the world-class weight room, they have a dietitian who works full time at the performance center. I like you can see it on NXT TV that Kevin Steen looks better than he did a year ago. Like he's getting more toned. He's still got, you know, the roundness to him a little bit, but he's not Bull Dempsey hanging out there in the ring. He's looking like a tougher guy. This is why I like at least that he can go one place, be full time. Everything is uh, consistent. He can go get better diets, get you know, in the weight room and do all this stuff and look more menacing when he eventually comes up on the main roster. So that's a plus to me for Kevin Steen. You look at what they did with Colin Cassidy three years ago when he was an FCW, uh, all blown up and not in a good way. 
And then you got to the performance center and he looks like a large, you know, a big, tough guy with a much better body who can actually make the main roster and do something. Um, I, I hope the performance center allows Kevin Steen to at least get the WWE look so that you can see this guy on big uh, on big TV, Raw, SmackDown, the pay-per-views and whatnot. Uh, but Jeff, you were going to go in there. Yeah, I was going to dive in here. Um, I love Steen. I love Zane. Um Again, if I was going to book a wrestling show, I want guys who can talk smack and fight. And so Steen's great. Dana I'm Brooke is at, too. I'm, I'm, I'm look, <laughs> I, 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 I look at this from a different point of view. I, I'm looking at it from who's the guy. I'm assuming the next, if we're going for an A star on the, on the main show or someone who can rise up through the ranks to be an A star, who's going to have the least number of negatives that Vince or someone else is going to start to ding him on. And if he can learn to talk, and this is a very big if, I think Jason Jordan might be your guy. He's a big, jacked-up, good-looking, athletic dude. I like Jason Jordan, yeah. A, with a legit background. Um, if he can learn how to talk and and talk convincingly, especially given some of the crap they're probably going to give him, I think Jason Jordan's going to be that one guy that breaks out. Uh, that's an original in terms of the performance center. Todd, you laughed there at the Dana Brooke. Was she a great introduction last week on NXT or the greatest introduction oh, last week on NXT? You could die in a fire, Rob. I just, <laughs> I, I was just, rea- I was just laughing at Jeff's reaction. Oh. I, I enjoy people getting completely and utterly consternated about something. Someone saying something. <laughs> Such disrespect for Dana Brooke, the total diva. Everybody, last thought, Todd Martin. Last thing I have for you, is this the year that the Nationals win it all? <laughs> well, I mean, come on. They, they, they've already predicted it, right? The, Look, I, I'm, the, I'm sorry. They the predicted best, it last year and during Davey Johnson's last the year. The best no? pitcher they had last season is their long relief man this year. This Nationals rotation is stacked. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've got a... Uh, they got a lot of talent. I'm I'm thinking shorter term though. Tonight tonight both the Capitals and the Wizards are playing in playoff games. Mm-hmm. I believe that's happened one other time in my lifetime. Wow! So it's a great it's a great. I, I'm exaggerating a little there, but it's it's sure. a great time to be a DC uh, a DC sports fan until the uh, the Capitals uh, lose to the Islanders and the Wizards lose to the uh, the Raptors. And you know <laughs> even even if things go badly for the Nationals, um, at least I feel like the NL East is weak enough that. It's a pretty safe bet that they'll uh, they'll make the playoffs. So that, that that at least would be a positive. I listen to enough Washington D.C. area sports talk radio where I know if DC if they have high hopes and they're crushed, Kornheiser and Zabin are going to be very entertaining. So it's fine with me. <laughs> at yeah, at, Sorry, at Todd Martin MMA on the Twitter, you can follow Todd Martin and get all of his thoughts on the world of MMA and you know nationals, I guess. And what else, what else do you tweet, Todd? What's your favorite thing to tweet about? I mostly just tweet about MMA and pro wrestling. I try to avoid talking about things that people don't want to hear me talk about, even if they're of interest to me. Um, just because I, I, I'm sort I, of, I, I don't want to talk about things people don't want to hear. So I want to hear them. <laughs> well, I think you're, I think you're a distinct minority in that case. Yeah, so, usually yeah. is the case. Usually is the case. Any final thoughts here, Todd? That you want to get out to the people? <laughs> no, it's 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 been fun, guys. Absolutely. Todd Martin at Todd Martin MMA. Thank you so much. Thank you, Todd. All right. Thank you so much to Todd Martin for coming on and talking the uh, Extreme Rules pay-per-view on Sunday, as well as some NXT Performance Center, a bunch of hot topics of the day here at the Voices of Wrestling podcast community. Jeff, that was fun. 
Oh, I had a blast. Yeah, it was good times. Uh, you can catch the video show at shakethemropes.com slash YouTube. We will have this on video uh, sometime within the week here. Much Definitely before, you know, Extreme Rules. Otherwise, that would be silly if I put it on after Extreme Rules. We'll have a post-show as well. Uh, let's get into our top 100 match countdown. We're at match number 81 this week. Dean Malenko and Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono <laughs> to unify the cruiserweight title of WCW and the J-Crown held by Ultimo Dragon. Mm-hmm. This match, yes. I will tell you, I watched this match today. I did not watch all of it because when I was going to watch this match, I had about 15 minutes to go into this. Now, I was thinking 1998 WCW and how all 13 matches went about four minutes long. And I assumed this one was going to go a little bit longer, but I had no idea just how long it was going to go. This match went 19 minutes. Plus entrances, plus post-match. This match went 19. I didn't have time to watch it all. Jeff, I know, has watched it all. Mm-hmm. But go ahead and yeah. tell go ahead and tell I the people a lot of Starcade ninety six. You did. You kept telling me. Like it's a fascinating card because it's a fascinating show. Yeah, ninety six WCW. It's an interesting time because we've already. This is December of ninety six. This is the end of the year. It was the end of the year. Yep. So we have a lot of things going on in WCW. We still have international agreements with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. We still have a lot of the old guard wrestler wrestlers in wcw and we also now have the nwo which is growing immensely in popularity um (laughs) and 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 we're starting to bring in we're starting to see hogan having a lot more power now that he's more popular and bringing in guys that uh, may owe him a win or you know he used to feud with and the main event of this of this starcade is Rowdy Roddy Piper versus Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. <laughs> in 1996. Yeah. The other fascinating thing about this is where it was located. And it was located in the same location as Starcade 95, which was Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Which Tennessee is an interesting crowd. In 96, USWA still going strong, or at least they're on their last legs, I believe. Well, what was it? Were they on their last legs or were they going strong? I, I, I'm going to look it up. I, I don't think they were going strong at this time. My, 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 my timeline is weird because I think this was, this they, was the time when, when McMahon was getting involved with USWA angles and starring the, the Mr. McMahon character. This was on the... See, uh, when you're as old as I right, am, yeah. everything starts to go together in 20 years. This so. was on their downturn because in October of 96, the USWA drew their smallest crowd in the history of Memphis. So they were on the downswing uh, at this time. But still, I, it was such a, it's a fascinating card because what happened was we were talking about this match and then you start texting me like you're watching yeah. the next one. the Because I asked you, should I watch the entire show? And you said and at I first, said no. you said no. <laughs> and then you start telling me all the stuff that's happening on the show. And like, is he trying to get me to watch it? Because I want to now. It's. I'll say this. The matches aren't great, but they're worth watching because they're because the matches are fascinating. I'll give you a rundown of the card. Well, here. Don't we don't need the rundown of the card. People can look it up. Well, but well, I want to no, I know. That. I want to I want to go the through first the main... three matches are OK. Just because of the new Japan agreement. Ultimo Dragon, Dean Malenko, uh-huh. Akira Hokuto, who yes. might be the greatest women's wrestler ever yeah. against Medusa, mm-hmm. who had just jumped ship from WWE and trashed the belt. Mm hmm. And then Liger and Rey Mysterio Jr. Liger and Rey Mysterio Jr. But the main event, you mentioned Hogan and Piper. 
just on that note, Hogan's first loss since the loss to the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania six. Mm-hmm. His first loss, clean anyway. And the and the inexplicably booked heel versus heel tag team match oh, of the Outsiders years. versus the Faces of the Fear. Faces of Fear, which I want to go back and watch <laughs> that one for sure. Jeff Jarrett, yeah. Chris Benoit. Eddie Guerrero show. and Diamond Dallas Page yeah. for the U.S. heavyweight title, and and it and and it's so funny. Well, the the problem that was fascinating to me was a I forgot Akira Hokuto did shows for WCW yeah. for some reason, and also that Medusa being the linchpin or the the spark of the Monday Night Wars and trashing the belt and stuff gets beat. <laughs> they just beat her for the for their women's title, and it's like. Uh, about a year later, she's gone from the company. Gone. <laughs> but yes, Ultimo Dragon and uh, Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko is the current holder of the WCW Cruiserweight belt. Mm-hmm. Ultimo Dragon holds the eight titles of the J-Crown, which are the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title, the NWA Junior Heavyweight title, the Great Britain Junior Heavyweight title, the WWA Junior Light Heavyweight title, the UWA Light Heavyweight title, the NWA Welterweight title, so NWA has two belts in there, the WWF Light Heavyweight title, and the War International Junior Heavyweight title. And I have to say, when he came out with all those belts, I was impressed. It was one of those things in wrestling you don't get to see anymore is is impressive, guys you think are impressive because they have multiple titles. It's kind of gone, you know, once title belts stopped meaning something, they didn't. Um, of course, this being WCW and Southern wrestling still going in, you have to have a heel Japanese manager to go along with the Japanese wrestler. So you have Sonny Ono. In the history of wrestling, the three Japanese managers that I remember most, none of all of them sucked. So I don't know <laughs> who sucked worse: Sonny Ono, Mr. Fuji, or um, Hiro Matsuda when he did that post kind of horseman thing called the Nakatomi Corporation in NWA. But anyways, yeah. um, this anyways. was the open. Well, it's just go, one of those. Go things. ahead. The match Sonny was 18 Ono's, minutes. Son, son, yeah, Sonny Ono is useless. Sonny, well, um, he. In terms of a heel general, he had a sweet New Japan shirt. Dave Meltzer gave this match four and a half stars. And it certainly it I goes. I thought this was a bit high. It was very high. Let's be real. The match yeah. for the first 16 minutes was uh, an Matt average. Was- it was mat work. There was a lot of rest holds. It was okay. There's nothing really wrong with it. The last two minutes are what, if you were going to watch anything in this match, the last two minutes were super hot. This is when oh, yeah. Dean Malenko was super hot with the crowds of WCW. Yeah. Like People love well, Dean Malenko. The, the pop that he gets out of the opener was a ma- was almost a main event pop now. And this is one of those things he where had you... cre- he had that credibility. He had that, he had that kind of that worker credibility yeah. from indie guys liked him. Yep. Uh, guy, you know, he had, t- you know, the, 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 the old school WCW fans, like the tough guy credibility he had. Yeah. But as an opener, you're thinking light heavyweights on paper. There's going to be fast paced. No, it People wasn't. Go, does some, does headlocks and leg locks yep. for the most of the first 16 minutes of this match. Heenan and Tanae are doing their best. Dusty Rhodes is just Dusty. suck. Villain. He was not very I mean, good. Bobby oh, Heenan was trying. Uh, Bobby Heenan was in serious mode. Yeah. He was trying. Heenan, wasn't, Heenan and Tanae were working together, and Tony yep. Schiavone was doing his best to call moves that he doesn't know. Right. But um, the most impressive thing to me was, I mean, this was this may not have been Ultimo Dragon's best match in WCW, but he did a lot of impressive little things. Like, he at one point, he faked the suicide dive out to, to Dean Malenko by doing a moonsault. 
but without even getting any more momentum just from a dead start, then does the suicide dive. That was impressive to me. I don't know if you got far enough into the match to see that one. I mean, yeah, there were... Basically, when this match came out, I knew why it was on the list, and it was because it it went long. It got rave reviews. I didn't watch move for move the entire match because, one, I ran out of time. You know, I was watching it and prepping for this show here. So I watched the beginning. I watched the middle stages because I wanted a feel for the match. And then I watched the final four minutes straight nonstop. And it's it's just power move. Yeah. From two small guys. It's brain busters. And and it's... Dean goes back and forth getting, you know, near fall after near fall after near fall. Yeah. And the crowd's getting more amped and more amped and more amped. This and crowd, the last four minutes was great. They're just standing. Oh, and he finally, he finally yeah. locks in the Texas Cloverleaf. The crowd's mm-hmm. going absolutely nuts. And this is not a situation where the crowd was just going nuts because it was the first match. These oh. crowds for the year and a half, all the way into mid 98, maybe even longer. Just every time Dean Malenko was in something important, they love this guy. They had trained their crowds to really enjoy cruiserweight and light heavyweight matches for that first hour. And they had conditioned them and conditioned them and conditioned them to the point where both this and the Liger Mysterio match, they they went ape for. But it's so funny having watched WCW nonstop from, I mean, I started watching in the beginning of 97 and I would watch Mm -hmm. until they died. And I watched every Nitro and it was always amazing how more over Dean Malenko was than almost everyone else, especially the masked wrestlers, maybe not Rey Mysterio. But the crowd never really got into some of the uh, the Mexican wrestlers who came up um, because there were for every Juventud Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, there was a Ciclope and a Super Calo and Silver King, yeah. all these guys who well, never got over. But what got Malenko over was he'd, he'd go in against those guys right. and he would just crush them against against his knee or something like that and yeah. break their back and just and just hurt them. And it, and it would be like, ooh, this guy's <laughs> a badass in this in this so So, as opposed to these flippy do guys right so the crowd's getting more amped and he finally locks in the texas cloverleaf and that's when manager of managers sonny ono gets involved distraction distraction finish and ultimately i believe what rolls him up for a one two three is that right no 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 he rolled him up for the small package and got a two that was the near fall yes yeah that was a near fall and then they started doing uh reverses and Mm -hmm. he gets a tiger suplex yeah on on dean and gets the three and it's a it's a it's a brutal deadlift suplex it's a very impressive show of strength from ultimo dragon at this point in the match um i had forgotten this match because i don't think i ever really saw it on pay-per-view i think i may have you know watched highlights from it at one point but i forgot that they teased a double count out at one point in this Mm. match which everybody's like what happens to the titles then but i mean i get them the finish was was very impressive in terms of, you know, reverses and suplexes and, and whatnot. And all this was basically to set up, I believe, the the Liger Ultimo Dragon show from the Tokyo Dome on January 4th, um, where they'd eventually separate the New Japan or the, the, the J-Cup from Ultimo Dragon so he could come back to WCW. Uh, just, I think, the champ, I guess. But no, it's 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 worth watching um, as a Dean Malenko match and as an Ultimo Dragon match. If you like either of those guys, even with the interference and the distraction, which happens throughout the next match of the show as well, um, it's a, it's a fine match. It, it's I think it's the best match on the card, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, it was fun. I mean, what I saw was fun. I would do myself a disservice if I didn't I, go back and watch the whole I thing. Think, I think I think it's a bit overvalued at four and a half stars. Four and a half and stars is a little high from what that, I saw. And that just maybe that just maybe at the time and watching it and, and at well at the time a, cer- it, a, a, a certain guy being very in love with Japanese wrestlers. It was by far and away the best match on that show. 
Yes. I think. I think, you know, what even came close? I didn't I haven't watched that whole show, but what oh, nothing you, came nothing nothing came close in terms of like Guerrero, an actual working fluidity of a no. match. I, I would imagine Liger. Guerrero and, Guerrero and Page came close but the ending okay. screwed it. Yeah. And and Liger Mysterio is just kind of one of those matches where it's like I mean, it, it's a good match. Um, the, the disappointment for me was a Hakuto and Medusa who it, are way past their prime at this point. And it's just, it, it was just sloppy and br- it was brutal that these two kicked each other's ass. It's I mean, a, it was, this is my cutoff because I started watching in 97 on a regular basis, like 96 and below is my cutoff to where it's like 96 and before that. And then 97 and past that, like 97 this, is my start zone. That's my, that's my AD. This was the point where I started to go, okay, this is not going to be my WCW anymore. It's going to be yeah. all my the WCW. It's going to be all the WWF guys yeah. getting over the horsemen and getting over on the, you know, the, the cruiserweights are never going to really be pushed as, as good workers. Like they might've been back in the day. So, you know, Hogan and Piper does nothing for me. Okerlund never did anything for me in terms of being in WCW. I mean, I was just found he was like a, sports entertainment carny and you know it, it was the the multi-man boost i mean today brought always brought credibility but you'd have a guy like dusty or heenan in there who didn't know anything so it would always detract from that mm-hmm. uh that is match number 81 on our countdown uh mm-hmm. this is one of those matches where i'd be like okay you can go back and watch it but there's much better cruiserweight matches in wcw to go back yes. and watch so yes. like i'm not gonna give whatnot yeah yeah i'm not gonna give the full endorsement on this one unfortunately but next week match number 80 the midnight express versus the fantastics from the nwa clash of the champions is our match number 80 on this list so we'll watch that tag team match and get it next week on tuesday which clash is that? One or two? Um, it looks like it would be clash one because it just says NWA clash of the champions. There's no watch number. That, watch that whole show. Clash watch of, that whole show. Just to make sure we're all on the same page, I am going to look and see if it is indeed on the first clash of the champions. And uh, it is indeed the Midnight There's Express. Three good matches on that show. Versus the Fantastics. Uh, Ric Flair versus Sting is the main event on that and one. Then the- and then the Tully Arn versus uh, Luger Wyndham tag Luger team. Luger and Wyndham for the NWA World Tag Team titles. Um, yeah, because this the Midnight Express matches for the United States Tag Team titles. Mm-hmm. Not the world titles. But that'll be next week. Uh, as you all heard in our show opener, we will have Dylan Hales on Sunday for our po- uh, post-Extreme Rules show. Yes. So Make at- sure you all call and tweet us. So we will put up, it is not going to be a live show. It is going to be podcasted oh. afterwards. Oops, I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, that's the thing. We you, we will take your tweets. We will open up the phone lines uh, probably around 11.30 p.m. Eastern. So if anyone's, we unfortunately can't do it live, but if you want to call in and have thoughts on the show or want to ask Dylan Hales a question or ask any of our thoughts, follow us on Twitter at Shake Them Ropes because we will open up the phone lines around 11.30 for our post-Extreme Rules reaction. So we will let you all know when the phone lines are open and you can give us a call into that. Any final thoughts, Jeff, this week on Shake Them Ropes 78? Um, no. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I was, you know, t- Tough Enough's coming back. whoop de doo there's better uses for I know. I really know you wanted to cut a promo on Tough Enough. I don't. We'll, we'll save it for later. Let's save all our Tough Enough comments for when Tough Enough is on the air. Okay. And then we can, we can do that as it's going along. 
Uh, but for Rob McCarron, Jeff Hawkins, Shake Them Rope 78, thanks everybody for listening. Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks, everybody, for checking out Shake Them Ropes this week. This has been episode 78. We'll be back on Sunday with episode 79, the Extreme Rules Reaction Podcast with our guest Dylan Hales. You can find Dylan on Twitter at Dylan Waco. You can follow Shake Them Ropes on Twitter for all future show information, as well as our links to our podcast feed, our video feed on YouTube, where we do have our shows weekly up on YouTube, including some exclusive post shows. Find all that information on Twitter at Shake Them Ropes. Again, follow Voices of Wrestling at Voices Wrestling and VoicesOfWrestling.com for all of your pro wrestling coverage from Japan, from the U.S., from the U.K., from Ring of Honor to New Japan and more at VoicesOfWrestling.com. This has been Shake Them Ropes. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Kuhn, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.